Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. My name is Phil. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, excited to be sharing on part three of our Y series. And I really do believe this is one of the greatest series we've ever done because I think we're going to territory. I think we've never been to in the church in general, asking really theological questions that don't get asked a lot. Or maybe we wonder what's the answer to these things and we really talk about it that much. And so I love that we're doing this. If you haven't, we have a YouTube channel. We'd love for you to go watch the previous messages. But today I'm really excited because we are talking about why we should read our Bible. And it sounds like a Sunday school type of topic, right? Like, ah, I know I read my Bible. But if we could be honest, some of us, we we struggle with, I've been a Christian. I read my Bible. But I really don't know why I read my Bible. Like, what, why, why do I, why do I put all my faith in this book? And so my, my goal today is to convince maybe some of you that are skeptic and maybe are on the fence about Jesus and Christianity. I would love to convince you to say, hey, the Bible is an authority. It is the truth. We'd love for you to be a part of our family. I also want to confirm. I want to confirm that if you are a believer, you, you, you come to church, you're a Christian, that you could have 100% guarantee, no doubt, that the Word of God is the truth that you need no matter what lies are being spread in society. So convince, confirm, and so we're going to take a lot of notes. It's going to be awesome. I got a chair so I can look smarter, and, uh, you know, that's what you usually do. But we're going to have a lot of fun, too, and I want this to be a, a dialogue uh, as we talk about why we read our Bible. So if you're taking notes, uh, the title of this message or talk is Trust Issues. Trust Issues. So we're going to pray and to ask God and the Holy Spirit to bless our time here today. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for church today. We thank you that, Holy Spirit, you are here. You're speaking. You're moving. You're touching hearts. I pray for anybody here who walked in for the first time and doesn't know anything about church, Christianity, that today they would get a fresh view of you, Jesus, and your word, that it's not a textbook. It's a life book. It's something that helps us in every walk, every circumstance of life. It gives us hope. It gives us peace. It heals us. And we pray that, that today people will make a decision to follow after you, Jesus, and, and unlock the potential that there is with a relationship with you through your word. Help us to teach us that. We've been Christians. We've been believers, but we're on the fence. We have some doubts. We search for truth in other places that today they would know and not guess or second guess the power of your word and the truth that's in your word. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. You know, we pray. Amen. Amen. So there's a story of a kite. And this kite is out one day and it starts talking to itself. And the kite tells itself, man, if I can only get rid of this string that is holding me back, I can fly higher. I can fly further. I can see more. I can do more. I can be more free if I wasn't just held back by this string. This string is pulling me back. It's holding me back. It's a nuisance. If, if, if only... If only I can get rid of this string, I'd be free. But one day, the kite got its wish, and the string was cut. Now, what happened to this kite is not what it thought, what it thought was going to happen to itself. It came crashing straight down. Because this kite didn't realize the same string that was keeping it down also keeps it up. And that cutting the string didn't make it any freer. Now, I share this story to illustrate this point. 
thinking a lot of us will head towards disaster if we cut the string of dependence on God's word and search for truth in other places. That God wants us to be connected to his word and connected to his truth. That we can rely on the word of God that it is truth. Truth when handling finances, truth when handling political tension, truth when handling racial tension. It is the truth in our life that we need in everything. Now, the problem is, is that how connected or disconnected you are to that truth is based on how you answer this question. And the question is this. Do we really truly believe the Bible is trustworthy? Like, do we really believe the Bible is reliable? Do we believe that it's trustworthy? Do we believe that everything in this book actually happened? Do we believe that the promises we hear about on Sundays in our connect groups and the promises of God actually work and are going to happen? And they're for us. Do we believe that if we read this book and apply it to our life, it's going to change the direction of our life for the better? That's going to work. That something's going to change. I'm going to be a better person. Do we truly believe this will happen? And I think because a lot of us don't deem the Bible trustworthy completely, we have trust issues. And the thing with trust issues is that we will never experience the full blessing of God's word until we have full belief in God's word. Full blessing. Everything the, God, everything the Bible has to offer. The promises, the peace, the hope, everything. The story of Jesus, salvation. We'll never experience all that unless we have full belief in God's word. Yeah. Now, this is a fact of life. That if you don't trust something, you don't put your faith in something. Yeah. It could be a person or a product. Yeah. Now, the only exception to this rule is McDonald's. Yeah. I don't trust what's in the burger, but I'll take five. That's, that's just, it's, it's, I'll just, just, I don't know what's in it. It tastes great. Put a little Mac sauce. You know, we're good. We're fine. <laughs> Life's short, right? Uh, but when it comes to other, to people and products, they're saying, hey, I don't trust you, so I'm not going to put my faith in you. I'm not going to invest time in you. I'm not going to invest financially into you. And so what happens is, if we don't have complete trust in the Bible, we're going to be, well, I don't know if I want to really read it every day. I don't know if I want to spend my whole time. I don't know if I want to give to the church, even though the Bible tells me. Like, I don't know if I want to do these things. So we, we, we don't have complete trust. And what happens is it opens the door to doubt. Now, disclaimer, we talk about doubt, that, that it's healthy in our relationship with God. But, but the dangerous thing of, of, of doubt is that the door that it opens is that I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I love my Bible, but I'm curious about truth in other places. That maybe there's some, there's some things in the Bible that aren't true and maybe it elsewhere. And so we, we open this door and what happens, we start to believe truth that only makes us happy instead of what makes us holy, right? We've heard that happy, holy, that's not our... So, so what happens is you read something in the Bible and you're like, ah, this doesn't make me happy. And if God wants me to be happy, then it has to be truth. So this can't be truth. And so we look for truth like, like you know, like this, this is not, not going to work. Or we find truth in the majority, Right, that seems like what's happening in society. That if a lot of people scream and shout, then it must be true. And so what happens is we go on Twitter, we go on Instagram, social media, and people are de- deconstructing the Bible and saying, actually, you're reading it wrong, and this is what's really happening. And you're like, well, if a bunch of people are retweeting it, it must be true. And so instead of having our own personal relationship with the Bible and reading God's word, it's like, well, I believe their truth instead of his truth. And so we have that tension. I think what happens is we have this back and forth faith 
when we need an unshakable faith with what we're facing with in society. Like a firm faith, like, like, like not built on sand, but, but, but built on the foundation of Jesus. And, and what worries me is a lot of us can find ourselves being the person that James is describing in James 1, 68. It says this, but when you ask, and, and James is talking about when you ask God for, for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not ex- to expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. There's no consistency. There's no stability. It's, 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 we, we've all, we, like, maybe you're here today and that's your life. Your life is not stable. It's not consistent. It's actually getting hit by wave after wave after wave after wave. And you're like, man, I'm trying to find truth and I'm trying to find hope and I'm trying to find freedom in all these different things, but nothing's working and I'm stressed and I'm tired and I'm hurt. But if we can say, you know what, if I choose to go all in on God's word and I go all in on Jesus, if I put trust into it, I'll get truth out of it. And what you need is more truth for your life. And sometimes you look around you and all it is is lies and lies. I don't know what to believe with COVID, with politics. I don't know who to believe, what to believe, what charts, nothing. When you don't know what to believe, believe God's word. Like when you don't know what to believe and you feel like everything, people, places are letting you down. Believe God's word because it is perfect. Perfect. And we got to get out of this tension of back and forth and say, no, no, I'm going to put my trust in it so I can get truth out of it because what I need is more truth in my life because I'm surrounded by lies and fakes. And so if I can put my hope in this and my faith in this, I'll get truth out of it. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And we do all that so that all of us, the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, perfect, not lacking anything, not in and out, not 50-50, complete and, and in control, equipped for every good work. So here's what we got to do. Why do we read our Bibles? Let's, let's, that's the main question, but there's other questions we kind of have to answer so we can put more trust and, and feel more confident in our Bibles. That our Bibles is not a cool picture moment when we come on Sundays, but we actually read it throughout the week. And it's one of those things that if we read it more and more and more, we'll start to notice changes in our lives. Because here's the truth. The Bible is a mirror. That's what the Word of God says. The Bible is a mirror. What the mirror can do is tell you what needs to get fixed, but it can't fix it for you. And so the more we read it, the more we can start seeing things in our life that need to change and make those changes and see us getting closer and sanctified more like Jesus. So the three questions I want us to ask and answer and look at is, the th- there's three of them. And the first one is this, is how was the Bible written? Second one, is the Bible reliable? Third one is, why do we read God's word? So why do we read it? So is it reliable? Why do we read it? And how was it written? So the first one, how was the Bible written? The, f- the first thing we need to know is this, that the Bible is a God book, not a man book, right? So it's, it's a God book, not a man book. And what that means is, God authored the book, but he used men to write the book. So he used them as vessels to write what he wanted to get in our ear for us to to hear. And um, the cool thing about the Bible is that it's 40 different writers in a 1,500 year span. 
40 different people chosen by God to write God's voice to us over a 1500 year span. And what's crazy, even there's levels to this, even crazier is that all 40 writers wrote one cohesive singular story. No, no, no sidetracks, no subplots. It all pointed to how God loves people and he loves them so much he sent his son Jesus to die for them. That's the story of the Bible from cover to cover. And all 40 writers, New Testament, uh, New Testament, Old Testament, all wrote on the same message, the same mission about God's love for people and Jesus Christ. One singular, no contradictions. Like nobody was like, John said this, Isaiah said this, and now we have to choose who's right and who's wrong. Everybody's on the same page, from cover to cover. Look what it says in Second Peter, uh, one uh, chapter one, verses twenty to twenty-one. This is confirming that that when we say it's a God book, not a man book, that that God, the Holy Spirit, s- spoke through each person. That the, each person didn't write in their own thoughts or mindset. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through them. It says this: Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. It never came from their thoughts. It never came from their their human wisdom or human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke straight from God. David is gives an example in uh, 2 Samuel verse uh, chapter 23 verse 2 it says this, the spirit of the Lord this is David speaking, the spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words, not my words, are upon my tongue. So when I write, it, it's it's I know the Spirit's using me because he's using me to write and to talk to you guys. That God, that you would know that it's, it's not David talking to you for advice. It's, it's God himself talking to you. So in other words, what David meant is what the Holy Spirit meant. So this is why the Bible is not an ordinary book like every other book on every shelf in Barnes & Noble. Because this one talks back to you. This one sees your innermost thoughts and what you're going through. Struggles, the good things, the bad things. And when you read it, what it starts to do is, it, it tells you, like I said before, it tells you what you need to change, how you need to get better, how you get closer to Jesus, how you live more like Jesus, why you should serve at church, why you should work, all these things that we have questions for, the answers are found in the Bible. We just got to have a mindset to say, even if I don't understand it right away, I'm going to keep going and not give up because it will speak to you. The second question, is the Bible reliable? Is it reliable? Is it something that we can bank on? Is it something that we can invest fully in, put our whole trust in? Is the Bible reliable? This is a tough one because I've, I've struggled with this. Even as a youth pastor, you know, as a youth pastor, you, you have so many things happening, so many hot topic issues, and you start to study it, and you can go anywhere on the, on, on the internet and feel like, oh my gosh, everybody has a point. But the worst part is everybody has a point, and they're using scripture, so you don't even know what to believe. So it's dangerous. Whether it's views on transgenderism or giving to the church, prosperity gospel, whatever it may be. It's like, man, if you, if you twist things the right way, you can get anybody to believe anything. So we got to be careful. And so that's what we need to read. The Bible that we read, the Bible that we have, is it reliable? So we have, we have a couple things that we could talk about that, that shows us that it is reliable. And the first one is we have proof from prophecy. Now, real quick, maybe you're, you're new to church. A prophet, when we say prophet, is somebody who is literally the, mouth, the mouthpiece for God. God wants to get a message out to the people. So he goes, hey, prophet, come here. I got a message. Say this to the people. So they're very important figures in these times. And when they write in the, when they write in the Bible, this is, these are very important prophetic words that they're saying. And scholars estimate we have found, you can find probably about 2,500 prophecies in all of Scripture. It's a lot. 2,500. 
What's even crazier is that 2,000 all came true. That whatever was prophesied, whether it was about Jesus, whether it was about the church, whether it was about the change of scenery, it all came true. There was no lie. There was no mistakes. There was no, incor- like, no prophet got anything wrong. And you're probably saying, well, Phil, that's not a big deal. They probably just guessed and got lucky. Well, I don't think you could do that 2,000 times. And the pressure that a prophet had, look what it says here in Deuteronomy 18, 21 through 22. It says, but you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. It's wrong. Didn't happen. The prophet has spoke, that prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. So it's like, you ever hear one of those people like, I got a word for you? Be careful when you say that. Because what happened in those days is when a prophet said that and they were wrong, it wasn't like, better luck next time, buddy. Like, no, they died. They died. Deuteronomy 18.20 says they, they were to be stoned. They were, they were to be killed. <laughs> if you prophesy something, you better make sure it's correct. You better make sure it's from heaven. You better make sure it aligns with what bi- the Bible says. And so we have proof from prophecies that 2,500 prophecies, and the reason that the 500 haven't been done yet is because those are going to happen in the end of days. And so what happens is you have 2,000 prophecies that all came true. Here's a sample of what it looks like. If we were to put the chart up, this is Old Testament prophecies with new testament fulfillment about jesus this is only like six but there's plenty more that you can read and research isaiah 7 14 he was going to be born of a virgin this is years in years years before jesus what happened in luke 1 26 20, he was born a virgin all this happened to the t specifically like times places what was going to happen everything two thousand times we have proof from prophecy the prophets didn't lie. They made, they made sure that everything... Because you can, I mean, you can even like make a case that even if they got two wrong, it's pretty accurate. Right? Like, oh, they got two wrong. You know, it's not that bad. They got all of them right. Every prophecy was correct. And so we have proof of prophecy in our story, in our Bible, that everything that was said came to pass. And so it's accurate and it's on point. We also have proof from accurate archaeology. Now, we don't really talk about archaeology in the Bible much. We, you know, when we think about archaeology, we think of like Jurassic Park and things like that. Like, that's what I thought. I was like, archaeology, what does that have to do with the Bible? Well, again, there's so much evidence that has been published by scholars. I mean, this is like, like peer-reviewed, like not just some magazines with some thoughts. Like these, this, is, this is discoveries that were passed on to other scholars to, to check their data, to check the facts that were now, they're, hey, this is good. You're good to go. You can make it public. It's, it's, it's past the time. These are discoveries that have made leaps and bounds to our faith of Christianity. Here's the truth. Archaeology confirms the Bible's historical literacy, accuracy. I'm sorry. Now, another truth is that there are some things the Bible says, like places the Bible says, that haven't been discovered yet. Now, that being said, the places that have been discovered are on the money. On the money. To the detail of how the writer wrote them. So, for example... There's a quote, and I love this quote. It's by Nelson Gluck, and he's a famous Jewish archaeologist. I mean, he's probably the most influential biblical archaeologist. It was a part of 1,500 digs. Incredible, the things that he found that helped for biblical historical accuracy. And he says this, It may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. That everything we found was exactly how the Bible said it. Exactly. 
So it's not a myth. It's not a fable. It, it's real. Like these guys said something and we found it and it's real. And so an example of this, John, John in, in his book describes the pool of Bethesda. That's, that's where the lame people were all hanging out. All the paralyzed people were all hanging out by that pool. And he says that there was five walkways leading to this pool. Now, scholars didn't think the pool existed until archaeologists found it 40 feet below the ground with the exact five walkways. Not four, not three, not two, all five. And you're probably saying, well, that's just one example. Look, my goal is that you would go online and try to prove me wrong because there's so much evidence out there that I would love for you to go find for yourself because we don't have enough time to talk about over all the things that have been discovered that, like one of the things you need to go home and look at is Dead Sea Scrolls. Google the Dead Sea Scrolls. Beautiful, beautiful piece of, of architecture that we have that, like manuscripts that we have that confirm the accuracy of a lot of books of the Bible that were once kind of on the fence of like, I don't know if these are accurate or not. I don't know if the, the people that copied the original writing really did a good job. And then we have the Dead Sea Scrolls that help that helps solidify the accuracy of certain books. So go look that up. It's incredible. We also have distinguished documents, meaning we have documents from the New Testament that allow us to stand firm in what we read. For example, I'm going to say something, and I stand 100% behind this statement. The New Testament, the Gospels, the New Testament, the writings of Paul, Peter, and Revelation, and James, the New Testament is humanity's most reliable document. Not just in the U.S., in the world. It's the most reliable document. Well, how can you say something like that? Well, if you look at other historical documents that nobody questions, let's compare it to the New Testament and see what we find. So let's do that. So we look at Plato. We all know Plato, wise thinker, philosopher, like wrote the Republic. It was written around 380 B.C., the earliest copies we had from the Republic were 900 AD. That's a 1300 time lag. What's significant about that time lag is that the longer something is written to copied, it, it leaves room for inaccuracy. And, 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 and people start to wonder, well, this is a long time. Is this really accurate? 1300 written. We only have seven copies in the world. But no, we don't doubt Plato. Okay. Caesar's Gallic writing. Caesar. He wrote this between 100 to 44 BC. Copies were dated around 1,000 years after he wrote it. Only have 10 copies. Homer's Iliad. We all heard of the Iliad, correct? Right. Okay. So it was written 800 BC. We have copies 400 BC. 400, 400 year time lag. 645 copies. That's all we have. 645 copies. The New Testament. It was written 50 to 100 AD copied 50 to 225 years after the original writing, the lowest lag time. We have 5,000 copies of it in the world. And if you look at the research of the New Testament, it is better preserved in terms of variances and errors of sight than any other manuscript on planet Earth. The bottom line is, is that the Bible is the most reliable piece of literature that you can bank your life on. And so you can keep living life going things that aren't reliable, that'll let you to dead end and dead end and dead end. Or you could say, I'm going to read my Bible without a doubt that what I'm reading is truth and no one can tell me different. Because I'm an archaeologist. Bottom line, the Bible is reliable. 
the most reliable document we have. And even what I've shared, there's more proof. There's more proof. The third and final question we need to ask is why do we read the Bible? Why do I hear on Sundays, every Sunday, Fridays at youth, why, why do I have to read this book? My teachers tell me I have to read my textbook so I can pass their class. Is this another book that I have to pass the levels of life and pass? I have to do this to be happy. I have to, re- if I do this, like, why do I read this book? What's the point of it? Why do I, re- if I pray and talk to Jesus, why do I need to talk to him and do a book? Why do we read our Bibles? Three things. Uh, we read our Bibles so we can know God. Like, who is he? What, what are his personalities? What are his characteristics? Like, why, like, to know God, we have to answer, why, do, why would God write a book? Why not use another format? Why would he write a book? And the answer is, it's because God is relational. He, he wants a relationship with all of us. Every single, whether, whether you believe in him or not, he, want, he, he created you to have a relationship with you. To love on you, to bless you, to encourage you, to lift you up, to heal you. God wants a relationship. God wants us who doubt and question to know who he is. What's his personality? God wants us to know him. You know, in relationships, we do this in, in everyday life. In relationships, we all self-define. Meaning, if I'm meeting somebody for the first time, a friend, a coworker, or, or a group of people, uh, maybe you're starting a connect group and you're like, man, I want to get to know these people. Self-defining is that that person tells you who they are, what they like, what their interests are, what they're into, what they, what they like to eat, what music they like. Like that's self, I'm telling you what I like so you can get to know me. So when we talk, we talk about things that we both like and we have, we have commonality. Like, like, you know, you guys get what I'm saying? We all self-define. Now, what is wrong is if I was to join somebody's connect group or join a friend group and say, hey, this is who you are. If you're going to hang out with us, this is who you are. It's like, no, we don't, we don't hijack people's personalities. No, we don't do that. And so God, what he's, what he's literally doing when he, when, he, when he wrote the Bible is saying, hey, I want to self-define myself to you. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know what I don't like and do like. I want you to know what gives me joy, what makes me angry. I, I want you to know how I can help you, how we can work together and both win, right? Like God, God wants, like, I want you to know that I have my son, Jesus. I sent him to die for you. Without the Bible, we don't have the story of salvation. We don't have it. What happens is if we don't have the Bible, we, we create our own gods with our own rules, with what we like and what we like to do and think that that's a better option because, right? Like we love to do things that make us happy, but what happens? The happiness fades. It always fades and you're back to square one. And what do you have to do? You got to do it again. And so you're living in this perpetual state of, of a cycle that will never, a vicious cycle that will never satisfy you. So we have the Bible that will help us know God. It also help us know God's will. Like why was I born? Why am I on this planet? What is my purpose? Why should I get up in the morning excited about my day? Where does my, well, I don't, I, where do I find my passion? When we read the Bible, God gives us two things. Not just these two things, but two things when it comes to his will. He helps us with our moral will and our specific will. So God gives us a moral will. This is how I want you to live. Because if you live like this, you'll avoid drama, tension, sin. Again, life's, life's, 
that's never going to be perfect. But God gives us a path that says, hey, if you, if you walk this way, you'll be better for it. So here's how I want you to behave. I want you to, not, not that he's watching our every move and saying, oh my God, like, like ready to strike lightning bolts if you mess up. No, he knows you're going to mess up, but he gives you a, a path that's saying, hey, here's a roadmap, take it and you'll be, you'll be more joyful because of it. You have more peace because you're walking in my path that I created perfectly just for you. Now, that's the moral will. The specific will is, okay, what are, what are you specifically put on this earth to do? Like your profession, your job, your calling. The Bible will give you that. The more you read it, the more you'll find out more about yourself that you didn't know about yourself. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not like a microwave. You just put the Bible in the microwave and get the verse that you actually need right away. No, it's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. Because no relationship ever works on short notice. An impatient relationship. No, it's, it takes time. And so with time, God will show you whether you're meant to be a singer, whether you're meant to be a doctor, whether you're meant to be an art, like whatever. He, will, he, he, he gave you the gifts. He wants you to know what to do with them. Like he didn't just give you stuff to be like, well, figure it out, dude. Like, no, it's, it's, it takes time. Know God's will. The third thing, well, excuse me, let me, let me share some verses that I think will encourage us about this. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Says this, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with the mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. Plant yourself in the word, and you will never you will prosper in all that you do. Your business, your marriage, your family. You're gonna have ups and downs, but you're gonna prosper. You're gonna prosper. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You don't have to walk in darkness of, insecure, or of, of uncertainty anymore. Put your life in the hands of the Bible, read it and let it light your path so you can know where you're going. Third and final thing, and the band can come up, is know God's word. The reason we read is so we can know it. So we can know what it's supposed to, what, what we're supposed to say to other people. Look what it says in Colossians 1, 28 through 29. It says, Him we proclaim, Jesus, God, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That all of us, because we read the Bible, because we are taught the Bible, will be mature. Not, not famous, not, not rich, but mature in Christ. For this I, Paul, toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So I'm, my goal, Paul's was like, I want, I want the churches to be mature because when you're mature, you are ready to face anything. Now, we have to do some soul searching here. Are we mature? Do we know our word enough to say, I, I'm a mature Christian. I know my word. I know my scripture. Or are we like the church in Corinthians? Paul writes this to the church in Corinthians. But I, brothers, I cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you, you, you weren't ready for it. You didn't understand it. You couldn't, even though I told you, you wouldn't do anything with it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Now you can say, well, well Paul, that's, that's a little harsh, Paul. Like, it's a little intense. Well, can you blame Paul? He went to Corinth in 50 AD. He wrote Corinthians in 55 AD. That's five years. 
as five years that Paul's like, what have you guys been doing? Are you guys still reading a verse a day? Are, are you guys still reading Jesus Calling? Like, what, what's happening here? And I'm not knocking that because when I became Christian, that's what I did. I read a verse, I read a proverb a day. That's what my youth pastor told me to do. Read a proverb. And again, that's great. It's a great starting point. But a verse a day is not going to keep the devil away. You need to be grounded. You need to know your stuff. Pastor Alex can't go to you to work. Pastor Alex can't go to your home unless you invite him to dinner. He can't be there for you. It's on you. You're a royal priesthood, just like I'm a pastor, like we're all in this together. This chair and this platform does not give us difference. You are called to tell people what you know and what you hope in. Why you come to church on Sundays every Sunday. People need to know why. Or else they think you're a lunatic. It's like, why do you go to church on Sunday? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. It feels good. It's like, no, why? Because I got saved here and I want to come back and serve Jesus because without Jesus, I'd be dead. First Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. If somebody was to ask you right now about homosexuality, how would you answer if somebody was to ask you about um, just prosperity gospel, how would you debunk it? If somebody asked you about anything, any hard topic that is being asked 24-7 today, how would you respond? I'll learn about it on Sunday. That's not guaranteed. Oh, maybe I'll come to youth even though I'm not a youth. You can't. You're not a youth. So, so, so what's it going to take to defend your faith? Or will you just sit idly by as lies and lies and lies and lies are being spewed to our children and to our, into our nation and just sit back and say, Jesus, yeah, he died for me, but he'll take care of it. No, Jesus didn't die for you to just sit and let him do all the work. It's, it's cooperation with God. We're in this together with him. And he needs your voice, not my voice. He's your voice. We're in this together, church. And so what I want us to be challenged with today as we leave is what do I need to change in my schedule, in my work week, at my home, in my reading patterns, what I'm looking at so I can make sure I know my stuff. And it's not just, and again, I hope that you don't get this message of it's just about getting knowledge and being ready to, to snap at people. No, because he says with gentleness and respect, we're going to respect people. We're going to be gentle with people. But we also read the Bible so Jesus can help us. And so today, maybe that's what you need. You, you feel like the waves of life are tossing you back and forth. And there's no consistent, there's just, you just feel like you're all over the place. What if today was the day that everything changed for you? That you, that you accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And then you got into his word, changed your life for the better. People in your family, in your friends group, would see you as a living miracle and testimony. Imagine what your story would be from this day today. And so why don't we stand up to our feet as we wrap up service. And I just want to give somebody an opportunity to make that decision. And I know we're talking about the word of God. We're talking about a book. But, but again, the main idea is that it's all about Jesus. It's all about, we want to know more about Jesus. We want to learn how to be liked, how to talk like him, how to, 
how to talk to other people like Jesus. And I think the Bible won't be unlocked to you like it wants to be until you have that relationship with Jesus. Because I believe without the help of the Holy Spirit, you will just be reading a textbook. But I think once you have Jesus in your life, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you will learn and experience things like never before. But it first starts with removing the sin that only Jesus can remove. And so if we could bow our heads and close our eyes, this is a moment of privacy. That's what we do on Sundays. We want to respect people's privacy as they make this decision. Maybe today you, you, don't, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You definitely don't read the Bible. You definitely don't, you know, you're here at church for the first time. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you still have questions, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know Jesus. You don't consider him your Lord and Savior. You've never surrendered your life and said, hey God, take complete control of my life. You've never done that. You're on the fence. You're, you're back and forth. You don't know. And you're wrestling with life's questions. You're wrestling with life's choices. Can I tell you the moment you remove the sin from your life, your eyes will open up. But the thing is, the only way that the sin in our life can be removed is believing and confessing that Jesus is our Lord and that his death on the cross was for us and his resurrection was for us. Because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. We're all sinners and we can't fix ourselves. So Jesus had to come down to help us out of love, not obligation. And the Bible tells us that his mission on earth was to die on that cross. That was his sole purpose. He was going to teach. He was going to help people. He was going to be an example. But the main thing was that he had to go on that cross for you and for me. And now all we have to do is believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus died on that cross. He was dead for three days. On that third day, he rose from the grave. And we believe, that we believe he's alive today. And I can throw all the evidence in your face that I want. But this moment right here is between you and Jesus. I'm not going to try to convince you anymore. I'm not going to try to throw fat. This is between you and Jesus. He's not going to force his way into your life. But today you can surrender and say, God, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with the dead ends. I'm done feeling like I have no purpose. I'm done feeling like I, like I don't know what's happening in, in my life. Today you can change your life. If that's you, you want to accept Jesus for the very first time. You want to be forgiven of your sins. You want to have a brand new beginning, a brand new start. On the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand. I'm not going to put a mic in your face. I'm not going to embarrass you. Hands are already going up. One, two, three. You lift up your hand. God bless you. 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 Amazing. You can put your hands down. Thank you so much. Best decision you'll ever make in your entire life. Now, for those of you who raise your hand, we're going to do something as a church. We're going to, we're going to say a prayer with you, but it's you praying to Jesus. This is you talking to Jesus. And it's a repeat after me prayer. And it's just to help facilitate. Maybe you don't know how to pray. That's okay. This is, this is to kind of help you get acclimated with what prayer is. But it's you ultimately just talking to Jesus. And so we're going to do a repeat after me. So I'm going to say something. Just repeat it right after me. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, I open my heart. I invite you inside to be my friend, to be my savior, to be my God. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. From this day forward, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, I thank you and I love you. And everybody said, come on, can we make some noise? Come on, let's lift up our voices for every single person. Because the Bible also tells us that when somebody gives their life to Jesus, there's a party in heaven. 
And sometimes we take this moment for granted. And the moment we, the reason we have church is so people can find life when death is all around. And so we just want to congratulate you one more time. We love you guys. So proud of you guys. So pumped for you guys. And uh, really, again, I remember when I first got saved, it's a crazy journey. Like, oh man, what did I just do? What's my next step? Your next step is a beautiful thing. Is going outside, talking to a dream team member. They're super nice. They're super amazing. And getting your own Bible to read. Thank you, Jersey. This Bible, what I love about it, it's, 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 you, you got this, you got the verses, you got all that stuff, but you have resources in here. There's a pastor that helped make this Bible easier to read. And so any questions you have about prayer, about marriage, about all the things in life, all you have to do is read this Bible and you, you're going to be blessed by it. It's super easy to read. And guess what? It is free. We don't, we're not going to send you a check in the mail saying, Hey, you owe us money and nothing like that. Like just get one of these before you go out, like get a Bible because it will change your life forever, especially in the times that we're living in. And so church, I hope, I, I really do, I, I hope that, that there's a, a new faith stirred in us that will look at our Bible in a different perspective, not just as a textbook, not just as a to-do thing, but hey, if I don't do this, my week will be a mess. And so as we leave these doors, as we leave this church, Man, let's change our schedules. Let's figure out what we got to do. And let's read. Talk to a connect group leader. Talk to a team. If you need help reading your Bible, there's resources. We're at church here. We want to help you read your Bible. You can talk to me after. We'll make it happen. We're here for you. We're in this together. Amen? Wait, I'm going to pray for your week. And then we're going to celebrate everything that Jesus did. Lord, we just, we thank you. We pray that this week, you would open our eyes to see your text, your scripture in a new light that you would speak to us. Give us a fresh word. Give us wisdom. Give us hope that we are looking for. Help us to see Jesus in a radical way this week. So Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. Let me pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church.